Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Listen to everyone, but don't do what everyone says, basically. Like, the, the, I've gotten a bunch of advice. Some of it was garbage. Some of it was good. And uh, I think you have to know the difference between the two. So maybe what I just said is garbage advice. And <laughs> you have to know the difference. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. So glad you're with me today. I'm happy you're here. It's another great week. Amazing, amazing stories on these podcasts. Sometimes I can't believe them. And none is a greater story than my guest today. Part two of two parts with Mike Ward who is an incredible, award-winning, bilingual comedian based out of Montreal, Canada. And before I get started, I want to thank you guys so much for everything, all your support. I'm never going to stop thanking you without you guys. This podcast would never be possible. And if you want to reach me, you can do so at Barry Katz at Twitter or Instagram and follow me, and I will get back to you as soon as I can. And... When I think about Mike Ward, I think about a guy who really, really makes bold, bold choices. And bold choices that risk it all every time he goes on stage. But like the man who broke down all the barriers before him many, many decades ago, Lenny Bruce, he keeps going. He keeps doing what he does best, which is edgy, uncomfortable, groundbreaking, for many people, offensive routines that lack any semblance of the level of political correctness that our country and the world is asking for. He is never somebody who is the warm and fuzzy guy. He's not the guy who wants to go up there and be lovable and huggable. He's the guy who goes out there and gives an edgy, 
groundbreaking, unique, authentic, and oftentimes very mind-challenging opinion of the world. And he doesn't care if you agree with him or if you don't agree with him. He doesn't ask you to come see him if you don't want to see that kind of humor. But those who do believe in him and those who rally around him have proven over and over again that he is somebody who's a force to be reckoned with. Not only one of the best-selling comedians in Canada, but also the United States. But going one step further, this is a guy who, because of his beliefs and because of how he presents his act, has also been sued by his own government for a lot of money. Did he just sit back and pay the fine? No. He fights it every step of the way, always fighting, always trying to figure out a way to do what he does best through persistence and a conviction of what he believes in. The rest of the world might not believe in him. A large portion of the world might not believe in him. But there's always a core group of people who believe in him. And those are the ones that sell out all of his shows and support him and why he's been so successful. And if you can figure out a way to make bold choices, if you need to, if your comedy or your job or your life, you need to live your life by those convictions and those opinions. That's what it's all about. It's about freedom of speech. Not everybody has to agree with it. Not everybody has to feel what you do is politically correct. But if you can figure out how to find your audience in whatever profession you're in, and do what you do in a safe place, not a place anymore like many, many instances in the entertainment world that aren't safe anymore. But if you can find an audience that allows you to do what you do safely and express your opinions through what you do, in Mike's case, comedy, and then if you can figure out a way to take those groundbreaking choices and win with them as opposed to getting crushed by the establishment. And then if anybody challenges you, like Mike Ward or Oprah, before him in a bigger extent against the meatpacking industry where she decided not to settle and fight and won. If you can figure out a way to do that and then branch out and figure out a way to take what you do worldwide, and if not worldwide, maybe just in another language from another country that can open up and expand your world, not just intellectually, not just inspirationally, but financially, I can guarantee you, you will have the possibility of the kind of career that Mike Ward has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You're fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. 
And what was the final thing that happened that got you out of the depression? Or did it happen just slowly? It was it was slowly. Yeah, it's not really one thing, but it's that night that my friend brought me up on stage that the uh, when I got my first laugh, I was like, oh, "Okay, yeah, this is this is fun again. This is fun again. Then I went home and I just started, uh, I, I had written a lot during my depression, but it was all, it was all very dark and very either angry or sad or the, the first, uh, I started doing a thing that every day I'd write, I'd try to write a new bit on a new subject because all of the jokes I was writing were about free speech and I didn't want to become one of those guys that all he does on stage is talk about his his legal problems so but i knew i had to get that out of my system so i every day i'd write a new bit and it was always about free speech free speech and then eventually after a couple of months when uh when when i went on stage and and i had fun on stage then i came home and then i was able to write jokes about other subjects i wrote you know i was writing i I was happy just to write a bit about my dog like it wasn't an amazing bit but i was just happy that it wasn't about me being angry at the government or me being angry that we can't say this me being angry like there was i became just a regular comic again i want to go way back take me back to where you grew up the economic dynamic of the household and your family, your friends, what it was like, and what was your first inspiration to getting into this business? Uh, I grew up in a, a town uh, called Quebec City, which is, uh, that's where Norm MacDonald was born. So he's the only, and Norm only started admitting that he was born in Quebec City about 20 years ago. For some reason, he used to pretend he was from Ottawa. Uh, and I grew up, it's a very, very, very French town. And uh, when I was little, um, my, my, on my mom's side they're French on my dad's side they're English and when I was little it was always um, I always the the only English people I knew were in my family so when I was little until the age of uh, one uh, till the age of five or I guess yeah when I when I went to kindergarten that's when I realized there were other English people like at first I thought it was almost like my dad and his family had made up this crazy language that no one no one else spoke and uh then when I met um went to school and uh my first uh we were uh um, my dad was a, he, he had a, a good job, but he didn't like it. And he, he retired when he was 40 to become a farmer because he thought that, uh, he thought that um, the doctor told him that him, him and my mom couldn't have kids. So he retired when he was 40 because he had enough money to live, you know, just two people. And then um, he, as soon as he quit his job, my mom got pregnant with my brother and then with me. So he didn't have enough money to support all of us. So we, we grew up kind of poor but uh happy and i think that's why i became a comic because my dad when i was little he used to always tell me uh do whatever you love in in life don't think about the money if if you make if you if all you do is think about money um you 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 might not be happy like you have to i don't i'm not one of these guys that thinks you know that money can't buy happiness because money can't buy happiness but i'd rather be sad in a really nice house than you know in a in a like there are a lot of people that are sad in shitty apartments but uh he he had just told me he was like um 
he wasn't the type of dad that was like, you have to, you have to be, you know, a doctor, a lawyer. He was like, do what you want to do. He wanted to be a farmer. He became a farmer. He was like, if you want to be, when, when I was young, I told him when I was seven or eight, I was like, uh, um, well, when, however I, old I was when I saw Eddie Murphy, I, I told him I want to be a comic. And he was like, be a comic. You know, you can do that. And then I tried, the first time I tried stand-up, well, it wasn't really stand-up. It was uh, for a talent show in, uh, I don't know, like grade four or f- however old I was. And it was just horrible. It was just me doing jokes from, uh, you know, a joke book with uh, my friend Wilson. So your inspiration was a joke book or was it something on TV? No, it was uh, it was the... the uh, like when I saw Eddie Murphy, I was like, that's what I want to do. But since I was so young, I'd, I didn't get that, uh, like, I didn't, I didn't see the difference between uh, what Eddie Murphy was doing and what, uh, you know, I just thought if I read jokes that I'm, I'm a comic. And I went on stage with uh, my buddy Wilson and then we did it. And that's, that's when I realized, oh shit, yeah, no, this is, this is not what <laughs> Eddie Murphy does. I did, so I was like, okay, so I'll, I'll write jokes. So then I started writing jokes. Uh, I think when I was like, I've, I've always written jokes. I don't remember not writing jokes. But uh, I remember in high school, I started getting good at writing jokes. And then I'd, I'd, I'd write jokes for the class clown, which was weird because I was shy. So I'd, I'd, and the class clowns were always, I've noticed, they're always loud, but they're never funny. So, I'd, so they were clean jokes. Uh, cleanish, yeah, cleanish. Okay, so you started off your comedy career writing clean jokes yeah clean like clean by Not, today's standards yes. but but dirty for for a 11 year old or however old i was got it yeah and then uh the first time i did comedy in front of uh in front of people that it was comedy that i had written it was in grade eight uh we i did this project me and my friend uh we did this tv show it was kind of like a saturday night live type thing and uh, so it was a mix between a talk show and Saturday Night Live, and it was just, it was garbage. It was just anything. But it, I did stand-up off the top uh, in front of a, an audience. It was just some friends in a basement. And then we did sketches, and then I, uh, I gave that to my teacher, and uh, I got suspended because he said it was, too, it was too mean and too dirty. And uh, I, I actually... Uh, uh, it was weird because, uh, like, I was the the my, our principal had told us that if, uh, or, or I guess the teacher told us if we if we did a, a any type of project we did, if, uh, he he uh, it, it it was for like a drama class or whatever, and uh, he said whatever we did we could show it, and the fact that he wouldn't let me show it, it it, it was the first time I felt you know I guess censored. But uh, so that was the first time. Uh, it's interesting that yeah. you've experienced this before. Yeah. yeah. Right at the beginning. Right at the beginning. And then I, I went to see the principal and I told him that if he didn't uh, if he didn't let me 
play it in front of uh, the students, I'd call uh, the uh, I'd call uh, the news, uh, like the local news, to get them to do a story about how they were asking little kids to uh, write something, but then they wouldn't let them show it, so they were censoring me. So you're using mob tactics at eleven. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then the I just remember the principal going like he just told me he was like, look, okay, yeah. I'm not going to let you show this to anyone, but we're not going to suspend you. And if, if you agree not to show this to anyone, we'll give you a good grade. So I forget what grade I got, but I got an A or a B on something that, you know, that they wouldn't let me to show, show to anyone. And I saw but it was just, it was very, it was very mean. It was just me making fun of my teachers and me. It was all of the characters, all of the sketches were just characters, uh, you know, uh, my teacher, the, uh, you know, the janitor. It was just me making fun of all the grown-ups. Besides your wife's comment, have you ever heard a joke that even you're offended by? Um, uh, sometimes. It's, I, Sometimes jokes offend, uh, offend me, but for the wrong reasons. Like, like whenever I hear a joke that's super hacky or lazy, I, I, I'm not offended, but like I, I almost get angry. And I've, I've, one time it happened to me. I was, I was in a very small club, and there was a, a, a guy on stage. And I forget the joke he did, but it was the worst thing I've ever heard. And the, the, I was in the back, and I just went, oh, that's so bad. And then I realized, oh, shit, did I say that out loud? And then I was, like, looking around. I was like, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was very bad. Don't forget what the joke was. At least I forgot it. So I wasn't that offended. But never offended by a harsh joke. No, 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 no. I love, I love dark humor. I love, and I've noticed, like, talking to most people that do dark humor, most people that do dark humor are nice people. It's generally nice people. The people that are dicks are guys like Cosby that'll, you know, that'll, uh, you know, censor. Like, the, like uh, I, I did a show years and years and years ago with Bill Cosby. And uh, he, he like, uh, basically, like, every story you hear about Bill Cosby in the old days, like the, the thing when he called Eddie Murphy, he kind of did the same thing with me before. Like, I was booked to open for him. And uh, uh, for this festival, and I told the people that booked me, I was like, I'm way too dirty for Bill Cosby. And they were like, no, no, if you, can you do 10 minutes clean? I was like, yeah, I can do 10 minutes clean, but I'm, you should get someone else for Cosby. But they were like, no, no, we want you, we want you. And um, this was in Quebec City, so that's why they wanted me, because I was, uh, you know, I was from there. And then, uh, then so we, they sent over a contract, uh, I signed the contract, and then they, they called me back like an hour later and they were like, okay, uh, um, Cosby's manager just uh, ca called back and you can't open for him. And I was like, why not? And they were like, well, because you're too dirty. And I said, I told you that like a million times. And, but, but you, like, I was like, you, we signed the contract. So they were like, okay, uh, we'll let you on. But um, Cosby's team asked that he had asked that they put speakers in his uh, in his dressing room. And if I said anything that was r remotely offensive, he could just leave and they'd ha still have to pay him. So they were like the whole people were super, super, super nervous. And then before the show, 
he kind of told me how uh, it was weird because he he kind of did the thing that apparently he 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 kind of did to everyone, just kind of being judgy about judgmental about you know comedy and and there's the right way to do comedy and the wrong way and the wrong ways by swearing or whatever, and um, and then but he um, he uh, I I did uh, I did my show and it was very weird because I uh, I was super clean got off stage and uh, when I came back to uh the dressing room he was in my dressing room so he he hadn't listened to the show and then i was like and he looked he looked very nervous so i was like are you okay and he was like i've never been never played quebec city and i was kind of like i got off stage and had a couple of drinks so i was kind of tipsy at this point and i was like it's gonna be okay you're gonna do well and i was like uh, and then i took a sip and for some reason since i was drunk i was like and you better do well because because i'm a little drunk now and if you're not i'm gonna fucking chuck this at you and it just came out like it's not a, it's not even funny but he laughed and i was like that's weird making bill cosby laugh with a joke that used the word fuck but he was uh he he was uh like before the show too he he was a he was a very weird man like he thought uh on stage he thought he was in france because he had asked like before the show he he'd asked people if they were french or english and people if they answered english he'd talk about england for like 10 minutes and if they said they were from if they were french he'd talk about france so i tried to help him i told him i was like look uh uh, i'm neither french nor english i'm i speak french i speak english because we're in canada and a lot of people here are bilingual because we're in canada and i was kind of almost telling him we're in canada and then he he looked at me and he was like i didn't ask for your life story i was like okay I guess I'm, I don't know, maybe French. And then I, I, I said French, and then he, he started doing jokes about croissant and baguettes. And I was like, what the fuck? And then he went on stage. It was the worst. I've never, it, it was sad because he was, he was old and he, he looked lost on stage. But my dad was in the audience, and my dad's a little older than Cosby, and my dad loved it. My dad was like, that was amazing. He did 20 minutes about France. You censored yourself for Bill Cosby. Yeah. Is there for any, a rapist. Is there <laughs> See how bad my judgment? I have no judgment. So I censored myself for rapist. So then I said, fuck it. I'm not censoring myself anymore. If he hadn't been convicted <laughs> and you didn't know that he did that. Would you ever censor yourself again for any amount of money? Uh, I, I like, I've, I, I, yeah, I have done sets that You've are done, clean. I'm talking about a place where they can't bleep it out. I, I, I think I do it, and I try to go as far as I could. So you don't mind doing that? No, I don't. I like, I don't. I can work clean, but it just I prefer not to. Yeah, I prefer not to, but I can work clean. Hey everybody, I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success 
to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Six degrees of separation. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names. Okay, perfect. Tell me what comes to mind. Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle. I have a really good story about Chappelle. I did a show with Dave uh, a couple years ago uh, here in Montreal. And uh, he, he was on stage and, uh, if, at the Midnight Surprise. And he was closing it. And the show, like he got on stage around 1.30 so he got off stage uh, a, about quarter to three, and he, w- he had talked about strippers a lot on stage. And um, so I, when he got off stage, and he was naming a, 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 a club that wasn't a strip club. So I was like, that's not a strip club. If you want to know a strip club, I can give you names. And he was like, okay, you know strip clubs? And I was like, yeah. He, and then he looked at his, his, uh, his DJs, and he was like, this guy's bringing us to a strip club. So I was like, okay, looks like I'm going to a strip club with Chappelle. So, but I look at my watch, and here, last call is a quarter to three, and it was already quarter to three. But I was nervous to tell Chappelle the bar is going to be closed and not going to let us in. So we walk to the bar, and right when we get to the strip club, they're pretty much closed. And that's when I tell him, I go, look, uh, they're closed. And he goes, I got this. I got this. I'm Dave Chappelle. So we walk up the stairs, but it's a French-Canadian dude at the door so Chappelle goes up and then the guy goes in a French accent he goes uh, sorry mister uh, we're closed and then Chappelle's like no you can he's like no no we're closed and then the guy sees me behind Chappelle and he goes oh tabarnak it's Mike Ward it's Mike Ward and then he goes Mike Ward and then he yells like he yells at his boss Mike Ward and then the boss comes over and he's like hey Mike Ward so then they, they're like the boss like do you want to come in with your friends and I was like okay so then we went in they kept the bar open till like five in the morning with Chappelle looking at you on the stairs like Chappelle was like, what the hell just happened? Because he'd seem like he like because people don't people. I, I don't I don't use the fact that I'm famous in French to to get stuff so most people like when they meet me think i uh i don't even do french shows anymore so and and chappelle seemed happy that uh he he, like he was at a place where no one knew him like it was good for him and uh it's something that i kept on doing though that made me laugh is when the strippers would come see me to take pictures with me i'd always make sure that the camera was in an angle that you could see chappelle in the background just so that if this stripper showed her friends that speak english she was like, look, I'm with this guy. Who? Mike Ward. I don't know him. And they'd be like, is that Dave Chappelle in the background? Why didn't you take a picture with Chappelle? Ralphie May. Ralphie May was, uh, he was, uh, I, I did the, the Nasty Show series with him. That uh, He was headlining that. And he wasn't even supposed to headline. And he just killed, the first night we did the Nasty Show, he just killed so hard that uh, they had to put him last. And I've never seen anyone murder that hard in Montreal. Like he, when he did uh, his, uh, his set that he was doing at the Nasty Show, the walls felt like they were gonna fall down. And he was the, he was the nicest guy, like when he died, Everything that everyone said was that's exactly how I felt about him. And actually, um, right, right, right before he died, I I wanted to go see him in Vegas because he was doing that residency in Vegas. And I called him up and I was like, hey, I'm going to go see you in Vegas. 
and he was so generous. He was like, "No, okay, uh, perfect. I'll get, I'll get, uh, I'll get the hotel to to pay you, and we'll we'll co-headline." And I was like, "No, but that that'll be weird for the like. You can't tell the hotel, look, this guy that you don't know." give him you know this amount of money so i was like no no i just want to go see the show and he was like no no you're co-headlining so i was like no i'm, I'm not gonna co-headline so finally instead of going to see him in vegas i went to surprise him another night he didn't know i was there but he he was actually like sometimes you know you'll meet people and they'll be like hey when you're in new york come by well and then like uh i i go to new york i call him and then they they act like they never invited me ralphie was the opposite of that like i whenever i'd go see him he'd like he instead of taking care of his own shit he'd try to do stuff for me which is exactly why he died so young because he took care of everyone and not himself artie lang artie lang uh artie of I, I met Artie, same thing at the Nasty Show. That was the fun thing about hosting uh, a couple of the Nasty Shows. I met great guys. Um, I actually, I, I think, I, I don't know if he'd ever stopped doing drugs, but the, the first night I met him, he had told me that his credit cards weren't working. And he was like, there's something wrong with my credit card. Um, it, I, I can't get money out at the bank. And I think it, it was just his team had kind of, uh, you know, blocked everything so he couldn't get money to buy drugs. But I didn't I didn't realize that because I, I, I'm, I'm not a drug guy. I'm just a drunk. So, uh, well, not a, I'm, I like to drink. So he was like, I, I can't get money. And right away I was like, do you, you want to borrow money? And he was like, uh, okay, can I get a thousand? And I was like, okay, that seems like a lot. So I loaned him a thousand, and then uh, uh, Jimmy Carr loaned him a thousand too. I found out like that night, and then the next night he came in and he was so so messed up. But the the thing that impressed me about him, he you ever get the money back? I did. Everyone told me they were like, you'll never get the money back, and he gave me the money back, and it took less than less than a month and he gave me he gave me the money back in american so i'd give him i'd given him a thousand canadian so i ended up making three hundred dollars off him and he but he went on stage what was what was really freaked me out about him the the night after that when he had like two thousand dollars worth of drugs in him backstage i was like okay he's gonna he's not even gonna be able to walk on stage like it took him 20 minutes to walk up the stairs and uh i could see him when i was bringing him up i looked over on the side and he was just his head was down and he was just trying to shake shake he was just shaking his head then i said ladies and gentlemen you guys know him and love him from uh, the Howard Stern show. Here's Artie Lang. Then I see, he just looked up, tapped himself in the face, went on stage, and you couldn't even tell he had done any drugs. He did like about seven or eight minutes. It was perfect. And then it almost looked like he was going to fall asleep. Then he did the same thing, just shook his head, tapped himself in the face, on stage, did another 10, and killed. And I'm, I'm like, I'm, he's, he's such a sweet guy, and I'm sorry that you know, his life uh, turned out that way joke thieves in france yeah there's a there's a guy there's Jerry a seinfeld and his protege yeah there's a guy named uh, gad elmaleh that uh, jerry produced i think jerry produced his series and jerry produced his special for netflix and gad elmaleh is uh he's the a thing came out um in france there's a guy named copy comic that he he gets uh, videos of french comics that stole from americans and uh gad elmaleh so like he did three videos about Gad Elmaleh. And uh, the thing that um, 
surprised me. Like, uh, he never stole from me, but I did a show with him a couple years ago in France and um, we're, we're, we're doing the show and I, I used to have this bit about uh, putting my dick in uh, some guy's champagne that had hit on my wife. It's a weird way to describe a bit, but anyway, I'd done that bit and whenever I do that bit, uh, other comics would always talk about it after. Like when I did that show with Chappelle, he, he talked about that bit for like six minutes on stage. So I do that bit, Gad Elmaleg goes on, and he's talking about the bit, but I could, I, I could feel like when Chappelle was talking about my bit, he was kind of doing callbacks, and it almost felt like he, I was happy he had listened to the bit and seemed like he appreciated it. But Gad Elmale, it almost felt like he was, you know, window shopping for jokes. So I was looking at him, and I knew, uh, I didn't have proof back then, but I knew, that, or I'd heard stories that he was a joke thief. So then I see him doing, doing callbacks on my jokes and just trying to see, like, it felt like he was testing out the bit for himself he got got off stage and then he asked me he was like do you uh, are you famous in france and i was like why and he goes no but i just want to know do people know you in france and he i, I was like i don't know a little bit kind of they kind of know me and he was like do you, do you perform in france a lot and then i was like you motherfucker if you steal my bet i'm gonna ruin you I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to talk about you to everyone. And then he was like, no, I'll never, I'd never do that. And I was like, I know you do that. Everyone knows you do that. You do that to me. You're dead. And then he, he, he freaked out and just left, never stole my joke. And then after I was thinking about that and I was like, I was like, I've, it's weird that I, I told him if you steal from me, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna destroy you. But I was fine with him stealing from my friends. So I, I I didn't at first I wasn't telling that story publicly, but then I just started telling everyone because he was a like there there was a real problem in France last year. There was a guy uh, at my club because I own a, a club here in Montreal. He was in the club. Unplug the club. Uh, it's called. Uh, it's a. It's a French call, a club called uh, Le Bordel, uh, Le Bordel Comedy Club. And it's. Uh, there was a guy named uh, Kadaraoun who's. Uh, who's. Uh, that. Uh, too bad this audio because you'd need subtitles for that name. Uh, Kadaraoun. I don't even know how you spell that. He's a, a producer in France that he was notorious for stealing jokes. Like he'd. He'd come to. Um, He'd come to America and uh, get uh, tapes from uh, uh, Deaf Comedy Jam and bring them back to France. And then he'd give them to his comics. And it was really weird because all of his comics were Arab dudes. And, uh, but they were stealing jokes from, uh, from black guys. So you'd see all of these uh, Arab French comics doing black material. It didn't make any sense. And then I heard he was in my club. And then I... I, I texted my the club manager and i was like i want this guy out of the club now and then my the, he texted me back he was like okay i got this and the manager at the club is such a sweet guy i was like okay he's gonna he's 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 gonna puss out and he's gonna probably let the guy stay the whole show so then i just tweeted out that kadaroan uh, was banned for life from my club and i was kind of drunk so i was i was tweeting i tweeted uh Kadaraun is a piece of garbage and it was just horrible and uh uh, the, the next day there was that Netflix brunch so I, I went there because since he produced a bunch of shows for Netflix I figured he'd be there because I wanted to talk to him just to confront him 
And I got there and uh, it was very weird because I didn't know who he was because I didn't know what he looked like. Uh, but but I, someone had told me he was at my club and I Googled him so I kind of knew what he looked like but I'd never seen him. So I wasn't sure. So I was looking around for him and I'm vegan so it's a brunch is the worst place for me because it's all bacon and eggs. And so the only thing I could drink were mimosas so or eat. So I started drinking mimosas and uh, I'm diabetic so I, I was having basically just champagne. So I had like four or five glasses of champagne in the morning so i'm kind of drunk and uh all these french comics were coming up to me and going stop stop talking shit about Catalon. and i was like i'm defending you i'm defending you it's not like and these comics weren't joke thieves and i i knew them i knew they weren't joke thieves but i was like you guys have to stand up and you got to get rid of all this garbage in your industry because your your whole the french comedy industry was built on a foundation of lies and then this this woman came up to me and she just got a netflix special so she you know she wanted to kind of talk down to me but she's only been doing comedy a couple of years. And she came up to me and she was like, you should, uh, she was like, you're destroying the bridge between uh, Montreal and Paris. And I was like, what? She was like, you're destroying the bridge between Montreal and Paris. And then I was like, I don't give a fuck about Paris. And then she was like, no, but uh, you're not, you, you shouldn't do that because you're, you're not going to be able to play in France anymore. And I was like, I don't give a fuck about France. And then she, she, uh, she told me, it was weird because she told me, she was like, you should be afraid of Kadarawan. And I was like, okay, are you trying to threaten me? I was like, the, the only person you have to be afraid of is someone that has nothing to lose. I don't give a fuck about France. I have nothing to lose. And then I was like, and everyone, they were always telling me that this guy was kind of like a gangster. And I was like, and if he wants to play his little gangster shit, he's going to find out if he thinks that this uh, East Coast, West Coast thing, if he thinks this is Tupac and uh, Biggie, and I was drunk, so that's why I was rambling on like a goddamn lunatic. I was like, if he thinks this is Tupac and Biggie, he's going to find out I'm Snoop Dogg. I'm unkillable. If he wants to act like a gangster, he's going to find out I'm the, I'm the real motherfucking OG. And then I wanted to drop, do like drop the mic with the champagne glass because it was thick carpet, so I thought it would just fall and bounce, but it just, it, I dropped the champagne it just the glass shattered it was crazy and I was like god damn and then I just left and that was I, I was very very proud and very ashamed <laughs> at the same time I was like oh that's that's so funny that's who I am now <laughs> hey everybody let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success it's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, 
and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Your proudest moment in show business. Yeah, my proudest moment in show business isn't even uh, really uh, a showbiz thing. It's just uh, I had... Um, the um, I had Norm Macdonald tweet something super nice about me when I, uh, the day that my verdict came out and everyone was insul uh, insulting me. And Norm Macdonald's always been my like I love Norm Macdonald. He's my my favorite comedian. I I love him with a passion and uh, never met him. Never met him. And and uh, he just tweeted out. Uh, uh, I forget what the exact wording was, but he, he had written, he had said, uh, comedy, uh, comedy is so hard to do. And then he wrote, some people speak French, some people speak English. I can speak French and English. I couldn't do English in French. Only Mike Ward can do French and English. He's a comedy genius. And then I was like, God damn, Norm MacDonald. And he didn't, I, I know he didn't believe that I was a comedy genius but just the fact that he was just saying that just to show love and support I love Norm with all my heart and I've, I've never never got the chance to meet him whenever I go to LA I'll, I'll text him to to grab lunch and then he always answers back like when I'm on the plane or you know but I that that, that was my proudest moment your biggest disappointment in show business and how you've used it to fuel yourself to the next level we already know what your biggest disappointment is in show business yeah but how are you using that to fuel yourself to the next level uh it's it's the thing that really made me happy this year is seeing that a lot of the new new uh comics coming up are, are have that sort of old school mentality like seeing guys like um like andrew schultz see, uh, when i saw him the other night at the nasty show i had heard about him i'd seen him on uh, on youtube and uh i knew he was good but then when i saw him live it was it, i like seeing guys like that the, when you see uh they 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 make you almost go like oh shit i gotta work harder like he's he's that good and seeing and i'm happy to see like a couple of years it was weird for comics like me because every every all of the comics or the new comics getting the love were people like hannah gatsby and then uh so like someone like me watching that i, I was going oh shit okay uh, that means in four years I'll be just, you know, playing casinos or, you know, flea markets. But now seeing guys come up that, that are that are that funny and that dark, I, I see that my, my type of comedy still has a place. Last question. What advice do you have for the young comic who's growing up on a farm somewhere in the world, doesn't really know how to get out of a situation that's not the most desirable figure out what they want to do and once they do get to the level that you are and having an extraordinary career like you are i think uh always just uh believe in yourself uh yeah that's the thing i think uh the problem with most young comics is either they they have no confidence or they have too much confidence so i'd say have confidence but at the same time know no sort of your place in uh like uh, t talent wise and just and know that it, it takes like like a, a guy like uh, George Carlin 
became George Carlin when he was in his 50s. Like, if you look at the George Carlin, in his 40s, he wasn't as good. And the same prior, like, a, a comedy career isn't just, you know, getting your first uh, 40, 50 minutes set. It's not just getting your first special. It's a, a comedy career starts whenever you start doing comedy, and it ends when you die. So just remember, some people, it takes... A couple years and they become huge other people it takes forever just uh just don't give up don't give up uh have confidence uh believe in yourself and uh don't listen to everyone but listen to everyone but don't do what everyone says basically yeah i think that's what i'd say like the the i've gotten a bunch of advice some of it was garbage some of it was good and uh i think you have to know the difference between the two so maybe what I just said is garbage advice, and <laughs> you have to know the difference. Mike Ward, I am so honored that you came here. I know you're in between shows. you got a show you're running to. There's a reason why you're the biggest comic in Canada, and it's just so great to know that people can go through difficult times, almost th think about taking their own life and come back on the other side and kick ass yeah i'm i'm what this verdict i'm gonna win i'm rocky too thank you so All much right, thanks very okay i'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message and one of these people will be a lucky winner and they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. All right, landing on JG17X, April 3rd, 2019. The heading reads, Perfect Podcast, five stars, and the comment they wrote was, Couldn't be any better. Thank you very much, JG17X. You are a winner. As you know, I was fortunate enough to do a documentary surrounding the only living person to ever admit to killing JFK from the grassy knoll. This is a guy who spent 50 years in prison, just got out, and we have exclusive footage of his interview and over 20 different interviews, along with interviews with five of the greatest JFK assassination experts in the world. Once you watch these videos, your perception of the world and what happened that day will change forever. It's incredible. Just go to ikilljfk.com. You can pick up the documentary I Killed JFK and the rare interviews of five of the greatest JFK assassination experts in the world. I guarantee you, once you watch this footage, you will be blown away. To quote one of the experts in the film, when Trump said he wanted to drain the swamp, what do you think's at the bottom of the swamp? ikilljfk.com check it out and here's a preview of the next very special episode ivan dudinsky make sure that you're really open to change and you know it takes a lot of grit there's peaks and valleys super high highs super low lows and you just have to be ready for those um and be able to step back and take a look at it and and follow your gut. 
As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money, drive that fancy car. All the people love you, cause you're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley A fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.